Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, Senior Editor of the NCO Journal. With us is the Managing Editor of the NCO Journal, Chago Zapata. Tony Mena, also a Senior Editor of the NCO Journal, and special guest and co-author of The Understated Art of Knowing When to STFU, retired Command Sergeant Major Gabe Arnold. Today we discuss the article Don't STFU with Major Burton Brender, Executive Officer with the 2nd Battalion, 357th Infantry Regiment, 189th Combined Arms Training Brigade. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Hey, uh, good morning everyone. My name is Major Lance Brender, I'm the Battalion Executive Officer of 2357 Infantry. In the 189th uh, Combined Arms Training Brigade, we are an ACRC uh, training unit. We service the Western United States uh, National Guards. Uh, I am a armor officer uh, and formerly the Battalion X, excuse me, the Squadron XO and the Squadron S3 of 81 Cavalry here and a Striker Brigade on JBLM. What inspired you to write a response to the article, The Understated Art of Knowing When to SDFU? So I was absolutely struck with this article on two levels. One, the insightfulness of what it had to say, and two, how much traction it was getting in certain quarters of the internet. And so I read this article, and the first thing I thought is, my God, this has been my career for the last decade and a half that I've been in the Army. And, you know, even when I was a cadet, the, this is sage advice of uh, – there are certain people who you need to listen to, and if you are not one of those people, speaking up can get you in trouble. The second thing that I was struck with was, you know, that what that really presupposes is that we live in a very authoritarian world where there are people who know, or at least have the trappings of being able to say that they know, and people who don't. And one of the things that I have learned over my career is, the guy with the rank or the guy with the time uh, or the guy with uh, just the charisma to act like he knows what he's talking about doesn't always know what he's talking about. And it's the leader's responsibility, it's an individual responsibility to be humble enough intellectually and personally to hear what everybody else is saying, take that into account, and to make a good decision. Why do you think that the authoritarian leadership style is predominant in the United States Army? Well, I, I think that it has a logical starting place. And thousands of years ago in different cultures, uh, warfare was between particularly adept individuals. Uh, if you look back at Japanese warfare throughout their feudal period, individual warriors were very hard to produce. And those warriors became individually very strong, very capable, and that was predominant until the Western way of war came in and was introduced. Now, the Western way of war, what we have learned through Greek times, Roman times, and uh, everything up until the modern era, <clears throat> is that even a group of fairly inferior soldiers working in concert, well-led, doing the same thing together, well-trained and drilled, those can best a a personally powerful warrior or even a small group of people. So logically, obedience on the battlefield became much more important than anything else. And it became 
uh, are watchwords like discipline. Discipline is the soul of an army. And all of these things that brought us victory and safety on the battlefield became attuned to acting together in concert and doing what the guy in charge says. And so that natural way of winning a war filtered out into everything else and it fed into our natural human uh, predilections. Uh, it, it is natural for humans to be um, me over you. Uh, once we have power, it's very difficult for people to give it up. And once we have authority, that's a, a difficult thing for people to say, ah, I will lay that aside for somebody else. And so authoritarianism found a home in the military because one, there is a logical argument for it on the battlefield. And two, you know, it, it fed into people that the military attracts. The military attracts people who want to do very well, who want to make a mark on the world, who want to prove themselves on an objective playing field for real stakes. And I, I think it was a logical thing to it to come out of our working environment. Sir, in the article you wrote that Nelson and Arnold's article presupposes an army environment that is authoritarian, you argue that leaders should not allow one to exist. Can you explain this idea and how you came to it? Absolutely. So I, I believe that we do live in a pretty authoritarian uh, organizational structure. Um, now, many of us aspire not to be. We have things like the philosophy of mission command, which we teach in our staff colleges and our sergeant major academies and all of our professional military schools. But in day-to-day -day activity, we often find a lot of reasons for that to not be the answer that we use in a practical basis. Uh, there's a lot of risk in the philosophy of mission command. You're risking your reputation on your underlings and whether they can do well or not. Uh, they could make a mistake, it could be your fault, or at the very least, you could take the blame for it. There's a lot of reasons to be really scared of that. Um, there's a lot of reasons to embrace it. I, I would argue a lot more reasons to embrace it. Uh, and that really gets, I think, to what you're asking. You know, why shouldn't we have an authoritarian structure? Uh, really because None of us, no matter the rank that we have, or the position we have, or even the years that we've been in is infallible. Uh, if a running joke that, you know, the guy in charge, you know, has forgotten what it's like, or, you know, the sir over there doesn't know uh, as much as I do. Uh, and in some cases, in a lot of cases, that's true. I remember when I was a, a chief of staff uh, at 8-1 Cavalry, and one of the first things I said when we got to our preparatory session for the National Training Center, was uh, who, who's the most junior guy here? And the specialist raises his hand. So the specialist over here knows something that none of the rest of us do, and we need to know. We need to be able to, we need to listen to what he says when the time is right, weigh his words, and at some critical point in this battle, it's gonna make the difference. And the same goes on for all the rest of you. We make a lot of critical decisions based on things other than the value of the idea. Sometimes it's, hey, is the guy fit? Uh, does the guy speak with a lot of charisma and confidence? Uh, can he, you know, put others in their place in social situations? Does he have the rank? Uh, does he have the experience? Does he know a guy? All of those things 
are ways that we can express power, but they don't mean that your idea is good. You might your idea might be good, but it's got to prove it out in the facts. It's got to be there in the objectivity. Do you honestly do better? Do you win on the battlefield? Uh, do your programs yield better results? Is your honor and character strong, even when you're not winning and when it might cost you? Those things are suppressed in an authoritarian environment because the uh, an authoritarian environment is about reinforcing who holds power at the moment, even if that person is wrong. And the only way to get around it is for that leader to be even more strong than authoritarianism and be able to listen to everyone, know a good idea, even if it's not his, and put it into place. It doesn't mean he's not the leader, doesn't mean he's not in charge, doesn't mean he's not responsible, but it does mean that he has the humility to listen to everyone around him and to make an informed decision. All of us have been a part of a unit at one point or another. And uh, you don't necessarily have the option of choosing, you know, the kind of style, the leadership style that your that your uh, your commander or people and, and positions of leadership uh, practice. So, what can either you know, whether it's uh, senior NCOs, junior NCOs, or even junior officers? I mean, what can we, what can they do to get their voices heard? I, I really think there's two things, and I'd love to hear what. Uh... Uh, Sergeant Major Arnold has to think about this, but I, I remember a, a general I used to work for said, you are always somebody's first line leader, no matter what you're doing. Now, there's a couple of exceptions of one-off jobs where it's just you, but 99% of the time in the military, you're going to be somebody's first line leader. And it is, that is your, not only your duty, but it's your golden opportunity to show what kind of a leader you are. When you have a chance, the honor of leading other human beings. Are you the kind of person who presupposes that you're the smartest guy in the room and you don't need to listen to anybody else? Or are you the kind of guy that's afraid that if anyone else has a good idea that you'll be overshadowed and you can't let that happen? Or are you the kind of guy who is not afraid of that, can listen to other people and empower them to accomplish the mission, share that glory, and far from being less of a leader, you are more of a leader who is taking that organization and fulfilling its greatest ability towards the mission, towards whatever your end state is, and empowering your people while you're doing. You're turning them into leaders at the same time. And I don't see much of a downside to that. I'm, I'm curious what Sergeant Major Arnold has to say about that. Well, if, if just focusing back on, you know, how to navigate, uh, you know, your ability to speak up or and or, you know, no one to be quiet. But, you know, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of variables here because, you know, just going back to authoritarianism, you know, that that word, you know, it's a synonym for dictatorship, which is essentially, you know, it's my way and nobody else's ideas matter. Um, I haven't really been in an organization where it was that type of leader I, th I think i've been fortunate authoritarianism the word itself is definitely uh not something that is conducive to to the united states army but i i do think authority is necessary uh and it's necessary for many many reasons you know non-commissioned officers typically they have general military authority but commanding officers have you know the authority that 
by the Uniform Code of Military Justice. They can punish you, they can reward you. But I think that those levels of authority are necessary for structure and to lead, you know, large organizations with a lot of people. So if I use a typical uh, scenario like a brand new sergeant or a staff sergeant coming into an organization, what we're trying to do in our article, you know, is just give some tips on how you can build your competence in an organization. And one of them is to, again, understand your operational environment. Uh, and that changes, that, that can change several times in the day within the same organization. Essentially, if, if I start talking about time in the organization, that's really how you build your competence. Uh, for a young NCO, you know, by performing. The reality is, in, in an organization, I like to say any organization, it's not like the internet. So you're not going to be bestowed as somebody that's competent. You're not going to be respected. You, you might get treated with dignity and respect, but you're going to have to earn that respect over time. That's typically how it happens. And as you earn that respect, that increases your competence and your ability to speak up or know when to speak up. And again, know when to be quiet. I hope some of that made sense. I, I'd like to argue that point too. Uh, you know, I've been in many positions and I think all of us are in positions all the time where comparatively we are under someone else's authority. And, and I think one of the points that you make really well in your article is, is having that critical thought towards yourself and having that sense of humility towards yourself, and I think you said it uh, a little bit earlier, is do I have something worthwhile to say? Am I just talking to hear myself talk? Uh, am I feeding my ego by making this statement? And if it's not, you know, if it's not working towards the mission, if it's not helping someone else, and if it's not your, your best and studied opinion, or at least your best attempt at a studied opinion, then yeah, you, you probably should be quiet. Uh, and I, I think that's that for each of us as individuals is such a critical thing that you pointed out of it, it, it's really a form of humility. It's a personal humility of I know that I am not the most important thing in this conversation right now. Maybe everybody else is the most important thing and I need to reserve my words for when it's really going to help versus just make me look smart. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, we, we talk about it briefly in our article when we say commanders are busy people, you know, so get to the point. Do you have a point? Do you have something relevant to share or something that's going to help? And from my experience, many times folks don't uh, have that type of value in what they're saying. So, again, you know, Major Brunner talked about discipline as the soul of an army. And that I, I want to say George Washington said that because when I was at Fort Knox, they had that saying on one of the theaters. And so I think you need to be disciplined in knowing when it's your time to speak or speaking up when it's important and knowing when to kind of stay quiet because maybe you don't have any value to add to the, to the conversation you're taking part of or the conversation you're witnessing. You know, another portion of it, I know because sometimes what you don't say in an article can be just as controversial. You know, I, I, we never address the illegal, immoral, or unethical aspect of speaking up. And so, you know, you could take that and assume that, oh, well, they didn't address 
this part, so you should speak up. That wasn't the intent, you know. It oh, was just nor nor did I ever think it was. Yeah. Uh, no, and, and by that same token, a great uh, counterpoint to what I wrote is, you know, what about, you know, mob mentality and you know, with you know, a whole bunch of people with really self-centered or stupid ideas, <laughs> and that never abrogates the leader's responsibility to say, okay, I hear you, but we're not doing that. And that's where our senior NCOs and officers and warrant officers come in and, you know, they apply that, uh, <laughs> that experience that we're, that we're banking on so much. Right. And, you know, nine, 99 times out of 100, it works out. I mean, you, you probably should listen <laughs> to the, what the what the sergeant major has to say. Uh, we were doing PT with my sergeant major this morning. I was like, yeah, it'd be, I, I'd be a pretty foolish guy to not listen to him. Yeah. Part of it too is like, you know, here's what I've saw throughout my career is folks speaking just to speak, you know, just, it, it seems like just to hear themselves talk or maybe they don't understand completely and they're quick to give their opinion or another case is, you know, uh, restating what somebody has already said within that same meeting or briefing. So it's just like, wow, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the, that humility and critical thinking goes both ways. You know, do, do I at CGSC and I understand the, the Sergeant Major Academy uses the same curriculum. They have that little joke matrix that they hand around of, I, I think you mentioned in your article, do I, am I talking just to hear myself talk? I should probably shut up. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, I mean, if, if you're, if your goal is your ego, then you're probably shouldn't talk. <laughs> we, we had a, a bit of a discussion when we talked about myself and, and Sergeant Cox, we, we talked about the article and, uh, and the articles that both of you published and that fact that okay, what, what exactly? What difference does it make? And I and it it, do, it does make a big difference. You know that the, there's going to be people who, even if it just even if it just one person reads it reads this, either one or both, and gets something out of it, and that changes their leadership style or or does something to improve uh, the force in one way or another. Uh, I think what you guys are doing or what you what you did here is very impactful, and I think it's gonna it's gonna have a ripple effect. The one thing I, I really enjoyed about your article, uh, Major, was also the fact that you you talked about all those points. You talked about the uh, the previous article that you the, you're the, that you're responding to, and you provided also a solution like solutions, objectivity, humility, and leader disposition. So it's not just hey, I'm just writing this in a vacuum and not gonna nothing. You know, I don't have any any proposed uh, uh, solutions to this these issues or whatever. You you had something that you actually uh, provided. Uh, tangible that that could be used to um, as a tool for for young leaders out there or leaders in general to to add to their toolbox well i'll give the credit back to uh to the articles of uh, to the authors of uh the first article uh, i had to sit down and really ask myself uh am i just am i just talking to hear myself talk uh am i just trying to gain attention or do I actually have something that I can offer? Because it's it's a poor substitute to just poke uh, poke something else in the eye and then not have not offer to help. I mean that's that's just a form of self-aggrandizement. Sir, you talked about groupthink. You talked about groupthink mitigation. Can you explain these and why do you think that they need to be used? 
I, I, I had the honor uh, as I was finishing up electives at the uh, Command and General Staff College to take <clears throat> something called the Red Team Member Course uh, from a man named Dr. Kevin Benson, former director of uh, the School of Advanced Military Sciences, um, School of Advanced Military Studies, excuse me. Um, and I was struck that in that six week course, I, I felt he has impacted me as much as uh, that entire year at the Command General Staff College uh, because he brought this concept of red teaming, which again, like you mentioned, is groupthink medication and applied critical thinking. So groupthink is a, a group of human beings together will often change its opinions to fit whatever is the going thing of the moment whatever the guy in charge says or whatever he or she thinks might you know might work out for them in the end regardless of what they actually believe or what they actually think and that that is uh that's dangerous i remember when i was in business school we were uh, we looked at that with the challenger disaster and how many people knew there was a problem but uh through a, a lack of evidence and a lack of willingness to stand up and say no allowed that spacecraft to be destroyed. And that it, it's just a very, very dangerous social phenomenon uh, it, that we need to be on the lookout for. And it's not the same thing as promoting anarchy or, or dissolving leadership. It's listening to all of the evidence and applying critical thought. And critical thought is the removal of subjectivity from your thinking processes, looking at what you know, acknowledging what you may think or don't know, and making your best attempt in a rational decision as as best as you can with the tools that you have at the time. Uh, I, I'm curious again, uh, Sergeant Major Arnold, your your experiences with this phenomenon and and what you've seen in your career. Yeah, I think um, that that's what. Our article, I think, is missing. For one, we don't we don't address the illegal, immoral, or unethical because under those conditions, you know, the expectation is that we want folks to speak up. And uh, you you gave an example in your article about uh, you know the officer. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly. Is it Chauvin, the one that uh, put his oh, knee Chauvin. on the neck of George Floyd? Officer Chauvin. Yeah, Ch Chauvin. Is that how you say it? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, under that situation, when you look at the uh, video, you know, you see the three junior officers that essentially could have stepped in and done something, you know, because it was, you know, George Floyd was cuffed. It was totally unnecessary to, it was clearly unnecessary to have your knee on the man's neck. And uh, so that is, I mean, that is one of the dangers, if, if I'm in the ballpark, I mean, talking about groupthink, but we're also talking about when to be quiet and when to speak up. And, you know, under that particular example that you provided, obviously we want folks to do the right thing. We want folks to step in there. But under an authoritarian type of environment, when you're operating in that environment, you do have folks, uh, you know, that may lack moral courage or, or are too afraid to speak up or step in when necessary. And that's unfortunate. That's something we have to keep fighting you know the uh, this idea of moral courage i mean uh, there's not enough of it 
but you bring up a great point. You know, it's a tough spot to be at, particularly in the military, you know, uh, coming down from from our national command authorities. We don't always get the time or have the information to be able to really analyze. We just we just have to trust. And and ninety nine percent of the time, our leaders at every level, uh, you know, political commission warrant non-commissioned are doing the right thing and they're leading with honor and integrity and when it when you have a lack of time and lack of information and perhaps a lack of experience 99 percent of the time trusting your leader is the right idea that guy or gal is doing the right thing to the best of his or her ability and it's just it's a difficult tight rope walk to really weigh these decisions and try to take your own you know concerns over your your comfort safety or your desire to be heard out of it and and really look okay do i have any reason to not trust my leader right now no okay i should probably do what he says and, and only in those cases where you can see uh, like with officer chauvin something's going wrong that this is not right this doesn't look right i know i should say something and at the point you were making, uh, having that moral courage to step in, even at personal cost, uh, especially at personal cost, to say, no, this this is wrong. We need to do something. Sir, why do you think that these articles uh, written by Nelson and Arnold and yourself are important to the force? I, I think uh, the reason uh, Sergeant Majors, uh, Nelson and Arnold, wrote such a experience explosive and well-read article uh, is because this speaks to the very fabric of our experience in the army and I, I would dare say in the military and many other walks of life this is what we experience uh, we do need a how-to uh, on many on many days to get through the environment that we're in uh, and, and I think it's a it's an invaluable contribution to the discussion we're having I, I think whatever I've been able to add to that is you know to look at it, it, as many of us as our followers in the military and that's all of us uh you know the vast majority of us are also leaders as well past the rank of corporal we're all leaders and these it, it is important for us at every grade and at every level even if you only have one person to supervise to instill some key qualities in yourself personal humility what am I really doing this for? Am I am I out to serve my my own aggrandizement, or am I serving my soldiers, my unit, my country, and ultimately the world? And objectivity is what I am doing, actually contributing to these things outside myself, or not. And then having the the leader disposition, the personal integrity and courage to follow through in those things. And that's what we have in our NCO Corps, what we have in our Warrant Officer Corps, and what we have in our Commissioned Officer Corps in 99% of people. And you know what an honorable profession we serve in and how good of us to be able to sit down as a profession and talk about this. And Sergeant Major, do you have anything to add on, on the importance? I hope this doesn't sound corny, but I always like to go back to uh, the, the leadership requirements model in ADP 6-22. You know, th this is a requirement for the most junior leader all the way to the chief staff of the Army, you know, for the Army. And it really talks about 
some of the attributes and competencies that both myself, uh, Sergeant Major Nelson and Major Brender address, you know, under character, you know, the Army is requiring you to be humble, you know, uh, humility, discipline. Uh, and then if you go under leads, it talks about communicates. And as, as, for, as far as communication goes, it's it's one of the, from my experience, it, it is the most difficult thing we do to gain shared understanding up and down the chain of command horizontally. Uh, you know, it seems simple, but it is extremely difficult. And um, we, we wrote an article for Army Magazine that's going to come out in July, and we, we titled it Why Communication is So Difficult. And again, we provide some examples and we provide some solutions. They changed the title of the article to Communication Skills Serve Commanders, comma, Their Troops. But uh, myself and Sergeant Major Nelson, we just, th this animal we call communication, we just keep uh, talking about it and, and, and discussing why things go wrong, why missions, you know, uh, fail and why communication is so difficult. And, and again, I, I just like to refer all leaders serving in, in the army to refer back to that requirements model. It's a great model. It's, in my opinion, tough to live up to all of it, but it is an excellent model for uh, all army leaders. Major, I have a generalized question for you. Next to you, this is for both you on your differing opinions. Um, but as an officer, what's it like working with 21st century modern day NCOs? So I, I echo something that I've heard throughout my entire career. Uh, and not just because it is a, you know, the popular thing to say, but because I've actually seen it working with other armies that the strength of the American Army, like many of our allies, is in our NCO Corps. There is no unprofessional arm of our Army or our military. There is no one who's just thrown into it. There's no one who isn't trained. There's no one who hasn't volunteered. The strength of our, uh, of our Army is that leaders at every level are able to stand up, know the right thing to do, and lead their troops to the right thing to do, both in garrison and on the battlefield. And so my my impression of the NCO Corps is a, is one of utmost respect. And they a, and in many ways, they they have a different experience than I will ever have. I, I came in, in as an ROTC cadet when I was 18 years old. I was commissioned when I was 22. I've been a commissioned officer ever since. And uh, and while I've certainly, uh, you know, fired a lot of rain, uh, rounds downrange, uh, there are just, they, I am not the final executor of the plan. Uh, I can get close, particularly when I was a platoon leader, but it is that, that non-commissioned officer and that junior enlisted man who is the final executor of every plan that every politician, every general, every field grade officer, and every senior non-commissioned officer makes and those individuals are are indescribably important and doing an indescribably great job at it uh some some of the trends that i've seen uh particularly in the senior non-commissioned officer corps uh right now my 
uh, my commander and my command sergeant major. Uh, and I've often said about anyone who holds the rank of the of sergeant major that you could uh, you could rip that rank off his chest, put a oak leaf on there at any time, and nobody would make a difference. Now there's pros and cons to that. Uh, so the pros is obviously the professional and the leadership ability, and we have so many senior competent leaders out there that our army is in good hands. Now there's also uh, one could argue the con of that is that we're all starting to look a lot like each other and think a lot like each other, um, which uh, I, I am not prepared or studied enough to give a really great analysis on that. But it's it's a convergence of lifestyles and mindsets that I, I think I've noticed over the last 10 to 20 years. No, that's great. And Sergeant Major, same to you about working with uh, officers. Well, working with officers, okay. I was just thinking about the, the first question. I, I've had a, an absolutely great experience. Uh, I joined the Army in February 1989. Uh, got a chance to work with, with some great officers, great lieutenants, all the way up to uh, lieutenant generals. Um, and so I, I can't say enough positive things about our officer corps. I think it's it's like anything else in, in, in every cohort, whether it's non-commissioned officer warrant, uh, or commission officer, you're, some are better than others. Uh, I'd like to say uh, the individuals that are typically better are the ones that are superior communicators, <laughs> since, since that's uh, uh, the topic of what we're, we're talking about. Um, but I, I, see, I see nothing but improvement over time. That, that's been my experience, and maybe it's just I've been fortunate. Uh, but again, I've learned more from some of the senior officers I worked with than I, than I ever learned, uh, you know, growing up from, you know, the other components of the Army. Uh, so I really have nothing negative to say. Uh, and, and by the time folks, you know, become battalion commanders, I mean, the way the Army grooms and develops commissioned officers, I, I really think they got it right. And now I think they've, I don't know how long they've been doing the, uh, the assessment program. I'm not sure what, what they're calling it. So do you know what that's called? Uh, the Commander? Commander assessment program, where I think we're in our fourth or fifth year now, I believe. Yeah. So, so what that program is doing is amazing too, because that's what that's doing is that's differentiating from somebody that looks really good on paper to, you know, administering assessments to these officers and identifying who really is the best for the job, not just on paper. And so the Army's serious about selecting, you know, the best qualified folks to, to lead these formations. And uh, I, I, again, I can't say enough positive things about the officer corps. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I love both those answers. And I love this article because I think it works, Sergeant Major, with your article. I mean, they're almost like together, like a package deal. And then it represents so much more than just the words. Like it's a, you know, senior NCO and an officer having a discussion. So it transcends just... NCOs, I guess army wide. Uh, so it's just, it's such a big moment for the NCO journal, I think. Um, and really is our goal of army wide discussions. So thanks to both of you for incredible articles. Very well done. Appreciate it guys. And I appreciate the opportunity and sir, thanks for the great article and, uh, enjoyed reading it and look forward to, uh, what we might be able to produce in the future. Thank you for uh, kicking off a great discussion and uh, one we absolutely needed to have in our force. Thank you, sir, for joining us. And a thank you to our audience. 
Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.